brother, will you trust in the Lord? Sister, will you trust in the Lord? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord till you die? My brothers and sisters, that's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of the question of faith. That's the essence of the message that Paul was preaching to the Christians, to the communities of faith that he had founded in the first century. And that's the question that he was asking and addressing as he was writing to the church in Rome about the faith that we are all called to have and to express. At the beginning of chapter 10, he writes, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, and here he's writing about his fellow Jews, his fellow Hebrews, his fellow followers of the Mosaic Covenant, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The approach that the Jews have been following was that of establishing their own righteousness, their own ability to follow the Mosaic Covenant, their own ability to live the life that the law required of them, their own ability to keep the dietary regulations, their own ability to keep the blood purity laws, their own ability to live the kind of life that they believe God was expecting them to live, the kind of life that is typified and illustrated and outlined by the Mosaic Covenant. They were attempting to establish their own righteousness, their own ability to live by the standards that God had established for them in the Mosaic Covenant. Paul says that this is not how God's righteousness is established. We can try to live the kind of life that we believe God wants us to live. We can try to live the kind of life that the community wants us to live. We can try to live according to the Ten Commandments and according to the rules and regulations of the community in which we live. We can try to abide by the discipline of the church, but in reality, while that might make us good and balanced and following a form of justice and balance in our lives, it's not God's balance. It's not God's justice. It's not God's righteousness that's established by keeping rules and regulations. By obeying the law, we do not establish God's righteousness. We only establish God's righteousness in our lives through faith. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes, Paul wrote. Belief. Active belief, not passive belief. Active belief is the basis upon which righteousness is established. And now we come to the passage as we had read it today. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, we will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, 
or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. We don't have to do works of righteousness. We don't have to bring Jesus down from heaven or bring Jesus up from the dead. Jesus has already given himself in the incarnation and birth, in his life and ministry, in his death for us on the cross. Jesus has already come down from heaven to be with us. He's brought himself down. He has emptied himself into the form of a human being, into Jesus of Nazareth to live among us. He's already brought himself down. Likewise, we don't have to reach into the dead to bring him back. God the Father has already reached into the dead to raise Jesus from the dead for us. God the Father's already raised him up from the dead. So we can't bring him down, nor can we bring him up. He is already here. He is with us. He is near us. He is among us. He is within us, Paul says, right here inside of us, ready to come out, ready to express himself in our lives, ready to be through us the good news for a broken and hurting world, ready to be the grace of God through us. If only we will do one thing. The word is near you, Paul wrote. That word near means more than just beside you. It's within you, within inside your existence. The Word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified. And one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. Not works righteousness, not establishing my own righteousness or my own ability to live according to a set of rules and regulations that have been established for me by the community or by the law of Moses or by any other set of guidelines. No. Righteousness that comes for faith, by faith, and through faith. And it comes from the heart. In the ancient world, they believed that the center of your existence, the very center of your being, who and what you were, is located right here in the cardia in the heart. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't look upon the head as the seat of the intellect. They didn't look upon the head as the seat of your soul. They looked upon the heart. And there's a reason for that, because the heart pumps blood throughout the body. And the life of the soul, the Scripture says, resides in the blood. So the organ that pumps the blood throughout the whole body must be the site of the whole existence. So they would think with their heart. And they would feel with their gut. They would think with their heart and they would feel with their gut. Now we in the modern world, we know that we think with our brains. And we often say that we feel 
with our heart. We've moved everything up about a foot, friends. From the gut to the heart and from the heart to the head. But if you think about it, at times we do still talk the old way. We talk about feeling and thinking with our heart. And we sometimes say that things are a gut-level experience or that hurt me in my gut. Or my gut tells me this, that, or the other. My emotional center tells me one thing or the other. Or when someone hurts you deeply, it hurts you down deep inside. We still sometimes talk that way. Yes, indeed. That's what Paul is doing here. He is saying that if we speak our faith with our lips and believe it in our heart, in our very center, in the very center of our being, we will be saved. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe it with your very being, with your whole being, with all that you have and are, not just your brain, but with your very existence, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. It's not just about mental assent. There is another word in Greek for simple belief or mental assent or acknowledgement of a truth. The word used here for believe is the verb form of the noun in Greek for faith. The word is pistis in Greek. I've preached on faith every year, at least once a year, sometimes more than once a year on the essence and the fundamentals and the ABCs, if you will, of faith. The Greek noun is pistis, means faith. In the New Testament, in the English translations, it is translated as faith, plain and simple, as a substance, as a thing, faith. In the Greek New Testament, there is the verb used that is formed from the noun faith, pistis. And it's pistuo. It means literally, I fave. Huh? Yeah, we have to invent a word in English. Because do, English doesn't have a verb formed from faith. We don't have a verb that is based on the noun faith. Instead, you usually translate that verb from the Greek with the words trust or believe. Believe is very weak. It's really insufficient of translation. Yet most translations deal with it that way. It's, I'm sorry, it's weak. Trust is much stronger. Because why? Trust involves placing your life on the line. If you trust in something, you're going to depend upon it. If you trust in something, you're going to act as if it's true. It's not just belief. It's belief placed into action. So the word trust gets really close to expressing the idea of the verb form of faith. But let's, let's deal with it in one of the ways that I have done many times here in the past. Let's see. Okay, we got a chair. I must have done this at least five or six times since I've been here. Got a chair. It's a good chair. It's a metal chair. It's got a metal structure. It's got a strong base. has a nice cushion for the posterior to sit on. These chairs are nice and strong. I've stood in them many times to access the cameras. 
Nice, strong, sturdy chair. You know what? I believe that chair will hold me. I believe that chair will hold and support my weight. And I believe that if I sit in it, I won't go flop down on the ground on my rear end and be embarrassed, right? Amen. I believe this chair will support my weight. Amen. But I think I'm just going to go over there and sit down in Jeff's lap. <laughs> Ready for me, Jeff? Is that belief, is that faith in the chair? No. That's not faith in the chair. Faith in the chair is taking a look at that chair, believing that chair will hold my weight, and then putting that belief into action by actually sitting down on the chair. That's faith. Faith in the chair. Taking the belief that it'll support my weight and actually doing something with that belief. Sitting in the chair. It's faith in the chair. This is even more faith in the chair. Until you exercise your belief, you don't have faith. Until you exercise your belief, put your belief into action, you don't have faith. You simply don't. You may have belief, but you don't have faith. Faith is an action based upon belief, sustained by confidence, the ABCs of faith. Just as simple as that. An action based upon belief, sustained by confidence. Confidence that the chair will hold you, belief that the chair will hold you, all good, but until you actually act upon the belief sustained by the confidence and sit in the chair, you don't have faith in the chair. Likewise, we can believe in Jesus Christ all we want. We can believe the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can believe the good news. We can believe that He came to live among us, that He showed us the love of God, that He lived and died for us on the cross and that he was raised from the dead. We can believe it all. But until we hang our life on it, until we trust in it, until we act upon that belief, it's meaningless for us. I'll tell you, someone who believes in Jesus, believes that Jesus came into this world as the incarnate Son of God, believes that Jesus taught and preached believes that Jesus died for the sins of the world and believes and knows that Jesus rose from the dead, but it's not saving faith, and that's Satan. The devil knows it's true, but his simple acknowledgement of the fact is not faith. Why? Because he doesn't trust in Jesus. He doesn't exercise faith in Jesus. Likewise for us, we can believe in Jesus all we want, but until we do something about that belief, it does us no good at all. You've heard of couch potatoes who sit on couches in their living rooms and watch the television, and the only action they have is to take that controller and change the channel. Good old couch potatoes. Well, my friends, 
So many Christians today are pew potatoes. They sit in the pews or sit in the chairs and do absolutely nothing. What are you? Brother, will you trust in the Lord? Sister, will you trust in the Lord? Preacher, will you trust in the Lord till you die? If most of us preachers were honest, we would have to admit to you that answering yes to that question is very difficult. There are many challenges, there are many conflicts, there are many stumbling blocks, there are many things that get in the way of us trusting in the Lord. We fail again and again and again. But if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you confess with your lips, that's an action, friends. It's more than just believing. It's lip, taking your mouth and speaking. It's articulating your faith. You know, the word confess there is an interesting one. It means more than just speak or say. It's a liturgical term, which means to praise. If you praise with your lips, you will be saved. If you praise God, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, if you praise with your lips, you will be saved. That's the literal rendering of that phrase. So if you faith with your innermost being and you praise with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. In other words, you do have to do something. For your belief to have any meaning, you must act on it. It can't be passive. It must be active. If I leave Northgate with nothing having gotten through but this, I'll leave happy. That faith is not passive that the faith of Jesus Christ is not a passive faith. It is active, and we are called to be active, expressing the love of God for all and to all, expressing the grace of Jesus Christ for all and to all, being the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears and the lips of Jesus for all and to all. It's not just about sitting here. It's about getting out there and sharing the love of God with all. That's the faith, my friends. Being the, sometimes, the only Jesus that others are going to ever see. If the church is going to be the church, if Northgate is going to be the church, it must be about active faith. It must be about taking its belief and putting it into action. It can't be passive. If it is, it's worthless. It must be active. My brothers and sisters, take the gospel, live the gospel, believe the gospel, and share the gospel.
of Jesus Christ with all. For with the heart you fave, and with the lips you make praise to Almighty God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And my brothers and sisters, when you do that, you are living the life of the saved, of the delivered, of the rescued, of the children of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of Northgate United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at Northgate United Methodist Church, 3700 West Northgate Drive, Irving, Texas, 75062. This program was produced by Dr. Gregory Neal.